In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, so far we have been studying the book of 1 Samuel. Just want to remind you about a couple of things first. Last couple of chapters, we saw that David defeated Goliath. And Goliath represents the giants in our life that scares us, the fears in our life. Somebody who's so big, so strong, so huge, that you feel overwhelmed with. Now, David defeated Goliath, and now he is starting a completely different struggle. And this struggle, we all deal with it. So let's get a, make them clear. Goliath is the war that is clear. It's hard, difficult, but it's clear. And you know exactly what you need to do. It's difficult, yes. But I know exactly what I need to do. Like, for example, I know exactly I need to overcome certain sins in my life, certain places, certain people. Certain things are very clear in my mind. Now we're going to start another war between him and Saul. Saul is his direct boss. Not only the boss, but he's also the king of Israel, who also represents a divine role in his life. Now, how can he navigate how can he navigate a relationship that is difficult? When I'm talking about difficult, I'm talking about very difficult. Somebody who wants to kill him, but he's required to be in his presence. And he's required to be with him a lot. Like sometimes when you know like the problem, and yes, you struggle with it, but it's clear, its boundaries are clear, it's Goliath. Sometimes you don't know what's going to come up. Like the famous saying is, tells you, you don't know what you don't know. Well, Saul is the same thing. You don't know what Saul is up to. Goliath is clear. He comes every morning, tells you you're weak, you're miserable, you're defeated, you're this, you're this. Saul is the person who stabs you in the back behind your back. Is the person who acts in one way in front of you and behind you another way. So we're going to see how David the prophet dealt with this person. I, wanna, I want you to notice one thing. When David dealt with Goliath, he did not sin. He did not make any mistakes. Sharp. Sharp. When he dealt with Saul, it was not easy. He started doing certain things that is not befitting him. And that shows us that the complicated relationships in our life are very difficult because they bring unexpected things daily. And they are actually there to make us constantly being in the bosom of God. So, and these relationships, they are like, if, if Goliath was a big thing, this relationship is more like a... 20 times more than Goliath. So I will start together reading. Remember last chapter? After David defeated Goliath and he went to war, Saul started getting jealous of him because the woman started singing and saying, oh, David killed, uh, Saul killed thousands, David killed ten thousands. He started getting jealous. And then he started going crazy. He said, oh, now they're singing for him. Next time he's going to take the whole kingdom. So it started between them 
not, yani not from David's side, but from Saul's side, he started becoming very envious and jealous. But we also saw that Saul's son, Jonathan, loved David very much. So now we're going to start chapter 19, see what happens. Now it said, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan's son delighted greatly in David. So Saul made an order. He said, you should kill David. This chapter, by the way, marks an important kind of divide between David and Saul. Their, their enmity between them will become very clear between both of them. Nothing that David did caused this problem. It's all problem with Saul internal spirit but there's a big issue what's the big issue there's a difference between me having feelings of envy and jealousy inside of my heart and there's difference between between me going public with my sin going public with my sin when i go public with my sin i become i i, I become a sin becomes my identity for example, there's a difference between me having envy and jealousy towards somebody or me going actually physically and bullying them or asking other people to bully them or make fun of them. Now I am actually becoming more courageous in sin, taking more pride in sin. Same thing, you know, sometimes some people struggle with lust. Difference between me struggling with lust and me bringing some of my friends and messing, watching inappropriate things together. When, when I'm doing the same by myself, I'm still ashamed, I'm still trying to fight. When I do it as a group, I get some sort of courage. It becomes part of identity. That's why things like alcohol, things like certain environment, people don't feel as guilty about them because there's people around them that gives them that sense of, oh, we're as a group. Doesn't give you the same guilt as by yourself. So what Saul did today, he started being courageous in his sin. He's not hiding anymore. He's not saying, I'm going to say no to the sin. He's saying, no, I'm going to live this sin. I think somebody, for example, wants to have an unclean relationship before marriage, and they would say, you know what? We know the church teaching, we try to fight it, fight, and then at the end they say, you know what, I'm not convinced of the church teaching. And they go live their own life. That's exactly what Saul did. But Jonathan, I want you back today to look at Jonathan, because Jonathan is in a place that me and you are in, in a lot of times. Where, for example, like in this case, his parents are doing something wrong, but he loves his parents. You could have a friend, you, could have, you can replace Saul with anybody else. Jonathan had somebody that he is in a place of authority. His teacher, his priest, his father, his mother, whatever it is. That he's doing something wrong. But Jonathan is going to God give him wisdom to figure out how to solve this problem. If I will go through it by one one. So now Saul said, whenever you find David, kill him. So Jonathan told David saying, my father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until the morning and stay in a secret place and hide. Jonathan 
did not agree with his father's decision. So, and he went to Jonathan and told him what? He told him, look, hide and tell tomorrow I'm going to bring you the news. Whether, what's going to happen to you? Be careful, Jonathan did not insult his father. He did not go and say, my father is stupid, he's mshafi, he doesn't know what he's doing, look at what he's doing to you. No, 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 no. He told him, my father is trying to kill you. This is a fact. Hide until I see what I can do tomorrow. And that's very important. Jonathan, until this point, he uses the word father. He uses the word father. It's not because somebody close to me are making a mistake. I disrespect them completely. No. And then the second thing, Eloi, be on your guard until the morning. This is very important, guys. Some nights in our life requires us to be on guard. Requires a full night of prayer. I cannot sleep. God is waiting for me to pray that night. On the night, for example, before Isaac met Esau, he stayed up all night praying. This is not a normal night. And God is anticipating. When we are distressed or in trouble, please. I remember somebody I know well, uh, early on in his life, and him and his wife, they had a fight. So he actually, they had a fight at night. He actually woke up and prayed all midnight. Midnight from Dagbe, he prayed all the Psalms. After he finished, his wife told him, all of this prayer for us, they hugged each other and went to sleep. Some nights want only prayer, nothing else, nothing else. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. So Jonathan told him, look, I'm going to talk to dad. And I'm going to see what's going on. If he still wants to kill you, then I'm going to tell you to run away. If he wants to give you another chance, then I'll let you know. Very wise person. Then Jonathan, look, but what did Jonathan do? Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, See, this is wisdom at its best. Let not the king sin against his servants, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. So Jonathan speaks with great humility to his father. He picked the right time, the right location, when they are kedarayin, things are good, and told him, look, David is your servant. David works for you. And you, king, do not want to sin. I know you, dad. You don't like to make mistakes. You don't like eh, to make mistakes. He didn't start by telling Saul, Dad, David is my friend, and you're so mean to him, and you're rude, and you're disrespectful, and all the stuff that people do these days. No. He started by acknowledging the works of David toward his death. 
and acknowledging things that his dad should live by. He told him, you as a dad do not want to sin. His deeds are good, are very good. He's actually loyal to you. You benefited from his action. You see? A lot of times, uh, the jealousy and envy make us blind. They make us only see the person in one dimension. This person is a tension seeker, one dimension. This person is cheap. This person is controlling. This person is annoying. But what about the rest? Does this person sacrifice? Do they offer love? Do they work hard? Do they run around? Do they have problems? I only see one dimension. That's what happens with envy. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it, you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? He told him, look, you think David wants to be a king. How does that make sense? That he went to fight against the Philistines and put his life, he risked his life for you and for Israel. That one he introduces here, look, he said, and the Lord, the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. He did not tell him, David brought up a, good, <laughs> a great deliverance to Israel so he doesn't add fire to the fuel. He told him, uh, fuel to the fire, he told him, God brought the deliverance. The language is very wise. He reminds Saul of God's work. He reminds him of how happy he was with David. He reminds him of the good experiences between them two. And then he reminds him of something important. One of the king's great role is to avoid guilty blood, not to kill anybody in vain. You guys know, obviously, even here in America and anywhere, the justice system any, pl any place, they always have to reevaluate. Are they misjudging people? And you see now, once the DNA came out, they revisited some cases, and people who were in prison, they were freed, some of them, because the cases were, uh, were judged wrong. And you see this also in Abigail, when she talked to David in 1 Samuel 25, she told him, you don't want to have a blood guilt, you don't want to commit this sin. You see, Jonathan spoke with great wisdom, great wisdom to be a peacemaker to be a peacemaker you have to understand the person in front of you and you have to give them some of the things that they like to hear to bring the, the gaps together you know I'll tell you guys something many times when people are fighting they reach a point in their mind where they think they are enemies and they live in the same home. They think they are enemies, but they live in the same home. So Saul heeded to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. You see, because Jonathan was so wise, so Saul said, you know what? I will not kill him. And he swore. Obviously, Saul is going to change his mind later. This is not going to continue forever. Because he has a distressed spirit that comes from God. And he changes his mind a lot. But here, because of the wisdom of Jonathan, he was able to win at least a small period of peace. A small period of peace. And 
I just want to tell you guys something small about swearing in the Old Testament. Obviously, in the New Testament, swearing is prevented. We don't have, we don't, it's a sin to swear. In the Old Testament, they used it instead of the concept of contracts. It's almost like the idea of slavery. I was explaining to this to somebody earlier. In the old days, when you borrow money from somebody and you can't pay it, what should be your judgment? There is no presence. The only options they have is to beat you, kill you, or to enslave you. So in the old days, when you don't pay your debt, they actually enslave you for seven years, and then after this you become free. Like in Egypt, by the way, in some of Middle Eastern countries, when you don't pay your debt, you go to prison. Here in America, if you don't pay your debt, you just get bad credit. You can't take loans or, you know, or here, different lifestyle. But most of most the countries around the world, if you actually don't pay what you owe, you go to prison. So these were just ways of confirming the contract between people, the agreement between people. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as time in the past. So Jonathan went, called David, informed him, brought him, calmed him down. You know, David, I spoke with that, and everything's okay. You see, by the way, I want to tell you guys something. Who's wrong in this story? Saul was wrong. He was the one who was jealous, envious, for no reason. But who came to who? David came to Saul. Why? In fixing problems, sometimes you see somebody is more willing, more willing to accept peace. You might get a push him a bit harder because he's more willing. Not because he's soft, not because he has no personality. No, because he actually has a humble heart, a good heart. And there was a war again. Again, war. Whenever you hear a war, there's a problem. Because Saul gets jealous. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. And they fled from him. Obviously, coming back from war, probably people sang songs. Saul sitting, boiling. David again, winning wars, and people are cheering for him. Now a distressing spirit from the Lord came upon him. Every time Saul feels jealous, feels hatred, the spirit comes. Every time, every time, the, there's a, actually one of the fathers said something that scared me. Said the Bible said, do not let your, the sun set on your wrath. Because if you let the sun set on your wrath, it means you'll be sleeping with the devil. You're going to sleep with the devil of anger, the devil of hatred. He's going to be hugging you at night, kid, making your thoughts going left and right, left and right. A problem. Big problem. So every time David is angry, jealous, uh, sorry, Saul is angry, jealous, what happens? A distressing soul comes to him. It's inviting the devil to come. Come. And David was back. When the distressing soul from the Lord came upon uh, the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with the spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. David, that feel a very naive, 
Right? Last chapter, what happened? Saul tried to pierce him twice with a spear. David, after Jonathan told him everything is okay, oh yes, sure, everything's okay. I believe you. I love, I love Saul. Saul is my king. You see two people living, one purity and happy with Tani, the other person, jealousy, anger, hatred. Crazy. David said, Saul is upset. No problem. Let me play some songs. Let me keep on helping him. I want to tell you guys something. Sometime we might take some actions out of simplicity or out of being naive. Do not, Habayb, be worried when you do that. Because God protects us when we take actions out of simplicity or out of love. Look, see what happens in verse, then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he split, he, he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and skipped that night. You guys know, imagine with me, Saul is a warrior. He knows how to throw a spear. And they are sitting in a small room. This is not a big room. This is a small tent, probably whatever it is. So if he shoots the spear, it should kill him. But God saved him. God, sometime in relationships with people, we kind of walk on eggshell. We're worried about everything we do. But sometime what leads us to a greater success is to pray the Psalms. Is to spend a good time offering love and not worry about the consequences because it's in God's hands. Because it's constant. So Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So after this scene, David ran to his wife, Michal. Now Saul wanted to kill David. He said, I'm going to kill him. For no reason. Nothing happened. All what happened is the man went to war. He probably came back. People told him David did a good job. That's probably all that happened. Jealousy. Nonsense. So, Saul wanted to kill him. Where did he search for him? In his father's house. What Saul does not know is David's house did not really welcome him very much. His own parents do not welcome him very much. When he ran, he ran away to the daughter of the king, to the daughter of his enemy. Can you imagine? When I look at the life of David, you see strength. You see strength. Somebody who is not loved by his family, but yet, yet, he can be so forgiving, so loving, so strong, so successful. It's unbelievable. And God used the enemy themselves, like the two children of, of Saul loved David so much. And they wanted to save him. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. You guys know the story of letting people through the window. They happened a lot in the scripture. Happened again in the Old Testament when Rahab let the, uh, the spies uh, run through the window. And also St. Paul, when he escaped, 
Jerusalem, they made him, they basically put him in a basket, bring him out of the wall, and make him run. And it's always like the children of God who are following the will of God, they always look so weak. They always look like they're running, they're escaping. But they're not escaping problems. David just faced Goliath. They're escaping the devil. Because sometimes the best way to fight the devil is to run away from him because he wants you to interact. I tell you guys something. I was talking to one of the monks and he said something beautiful. Some sins, some sins in our life, prayer does not work, communion does not work, confession does not work. I looked at him I said, so what works? The only option is to flee. The only option is to what? Flee. If you have, for example, an issue with lust, an issue with drinking, the only option is to flee. You can't say, oh, I'm praying, and I'm going to the same place. It's not going to work. Sometimes, fleeing is a must, and no replacement for it. And Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with his cloth. So Michal was very smart. After she let him escape, she said, let me gain some time. So she took what we call a teraphim. It's a, status of an, a statue of idol. She put him in the bed. That means that Michal herself had statues of idols in her house, which is another big problem. She put it on her bed covered it and put some hair goats on it so when the, the soldiers come she tells him David is sick obviously Michal knows her father well and knows what he's going to do so when Saul sent messengers to take David she said he's sick so she lied Michal obviously lied so then Saul sent the messengers back to see David saying bring him to me in the bed that I may kill him Saul does not think about any of the consequences. If you kill David, how is that going to look for other soldiers and other followers that you have? The consequence of our anger and our jealousy and our envy can be severe. In the case of Saul, it's clear because he's a king. In our cases, it might not be clear because we have so much things that we have control over. But it could make us live in a complete imprisonment all day. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away? So that it was his escape. And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So Saul obviously believed that he's his enemy and he went to his daughter, told her, why did you lie to me? And then Michal, because she was so scared of her father, she told him, well, David threatened me to kill me. So I had to admit him, make him escape, otherwise he would kill me. And by the way, this is what happens. When you have somebody who's angry all the time and, and, and full of rage, he brings the worst out of people around him. He brings the worst out of people around him. When you have, when you, by the way, fear limits creativity. Fear limits creativity. When people feel free, feel loved, feel respected, they can become creative. Intimidation and fear makes people less productive. Make people eh, less productive. 
So she lied, she committed a sin because she doesn't know what his father is going to do. He can push her, he can hit her. It's a problem. And obviously you can imagine, Saul is boiling. Now my two, son, my two children, Jonathan and Mikael, they love David. It's like now the love-hate relationship between him and David is getting much more complicated. My own children love him. So David fled and escaped. Where would David go? David could not go home. His home would not take him. He went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. Now it was told Saul saying, take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. When David escaped, David went to see a spiritual advisor. He wants to get a guidance from God. He wants to get guidance of God. So he went until this point, David did not open his heart to anybody about the problem. He's not walking around telling the other people, look, Saul is trying to kill me. Let's try to form an army. None of this stuff. He kept it inside. Now he came to uh, Samuel and he started opening up his heart to Samuel. And sometimes I have to be careful about who I open my heart to. Some people might give you foolish advice and some people might give you holy advice. And I want to tell you guys something. Most people in our culture nowadays, they will tell you, do what you like. Do what you want. That's the basic advice people get you. Here, he went to talk to Samuel. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. Look at this few verses, so beautiful. So Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as leaders over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So Saul sent some soldiers to bring David so can he kill them. They went, they went, they found Samuel and the prophets praising. Prophesizing here, more likely praising God. Their voices were so good. Their prayer was so beautiful. That the Spirit of God made them forget what they were here for. And they started praying. Wow. Wow. They started praying. And then when Saul was told, he sent other messengers. They prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. Saul is paranoid. Every time he sends people, the spies come over, they're praying. He sends again, third time. The spiritual environment they're in is so contagious. And you see, Saul did not get to sit and reflect and say, I remember those days. When I used to pray Tazbah at midnight and enjoy it. When I used to wake up early for liturgy. When I used to bake it in so much great desire to pray to God. I, one of the people I know very well, he told me, I'll never forget a period of my life where I wanted to go home just to pray my Agbeya. It was the, my favorite part of the day. Only now I struggle to pray it every day. With David, in the presence of the environment of prayer, he stood and prayed. He was not running away. It's a very weird situation. 
And this whole story, look, it's going to get even more interesting. Then he also went, who? Saul. Since three, three group of soldiers, nothing happened. He also went to Ramah, and he came to the great well that is at seashore. That, by the way, this is a well that connects the water that go into Ramah. So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naboth in Ramah. David, uh, Saul, he's talking, he's looking for Samuel and David, two people that mean so much to him. A lot of the spirituality in the life of Saul is because of these two. For he's going to meet them with great anger. Sometime, yani, with, with lack of spirituality, we can turn against even the ones that we love, the one that led us close to, close to God. So when he went there to Naboth and Ramah, then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. Can you imagine? A soul was coming from far with all his anger, with all his hatred, with all everything inside, inside his heart. He started prophesying. If we are in a bad environment, I will not be able to be inflamed with the love of God. No way. Look, if you look through kida, your, your th not your own thoughts, but the thoughts of most people in the world, what's, if you go inside somebody's brain, what are the thoughts that usually take over their brains? Usually two kinds of thoughts. Things of what I want. I want a new car. I want a new hairstyle. I want a new dog. I want a new cat. I want a new chef. That's always the first thing. Or people I'm upset with or people I like it's either things I want or people what can transform these thoughts to become something above the world God only God even Saul who was full of hatred when he went to the monastery and he went to, to meet the prophets he started praying and I tell you this, and all of you guys know this, you have many people far away from God. When they go to the right place, go to a monastery trip, they go here, they go here, it benefits them. One of the things I started to find, and it's unfortunately a trend, that people like to experience things just for the sake of experience. Oh, I go to a monastery once, I go to serve in Africa once, I want to try this, I want to... But it's not about a consistent basis in which I spent alone time with God. It became more of an experience. So I say I have done it. With God, I need a continuous, continuous meeting with Him on a regular basis. And what did Saul do? Look at verse 24. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Obviously, Saul did not take off all his clothes to be naked. He took off his royal cloth, clothes, so that the, the, the usually people in the old days, he used to wear a white tunic. It's like a little garment that would cover all themselves. It's almost like when it's almost like the, the, you know, it's almost the underwear of these days, you know. So when he was wearing this, 
it was, people looked at it as if he was naked, right? If you're just wearing the tunic on the streets, people say, you know, he's wearing like his basic clothes. So Saul took off all his royal clothes and he started praising God. That's what, the way what happens in the liturgy. If there's a bishop and he's reading the gospel, what does he do? Takes off his amma, his hat. Nobody, nobody can be above or a king or a, pre, or a high priest in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's important for us that we keep our church in a constant state of prayer. Can you imagine David and Saul standing right next to each other and they cannot see anything but prayer? St. John Chrysostom says, when we are listening to divine songs and doing good works, we're ensuring that the Spirit will not depart from us. When we are listening to divine songs and doing good works, we're ensuring that the Spirit does not, uh, will not depart from us. Will not eh, depart from us. And then people said, a soul among the prophets. You know, it is so sad when you hear this. When that this verse was repeated at the very beginning of the life of Saul, when he was getting ordained a king and he started prophesying, people said, is Saul, against the, is Saul among the prophets? They were surprised because at that time he was far away from God. But what happened? He saw a lot of experiences. He went to the monasteries. His book was Samuel. He became a king. God did miracles with him. And then where did he end up with? Again, worse than he started. Worse than he started. And people still go back and say, is Saul among the prophets? This guy does not, does not move forward. Doesn't. Uh, St. Augustine said, and Saul demonstrates possessing the spirit of prophecy does not indicate that one is God's child. Saul had the gift of prophecy yet without charity. Saul, in the First Corinthians 13, it said, if I can do all things and if I can prophesize, if I can raise people from the dead and I have no love, I'm nothing. It says Saul is an example of that. He prophesied, but he had no love. He's nothing in the eyes of heaven. That's why when we are angry, when we are broken, when we are full of un unholy feelings, I need to run to psalms, to prayer, to songs. Until my soul calms, until the devil leaves. If I look at every kid a war, it's a war between me and the devil, not between me and other people. I'll find my reaction is always different. I find my reaction is always different. Until this point, David reacted only with a pu purity. He always thought Saul loved him. He loved him back. Every time, he was so naive until this point. He hasn't taken anything into his own hands. Has not complained once. Has not said why this is happening. And in that period, God protected him 100%. Nothing harmed him. Three times, Saul was going to kill him and God saved him. 
three times God was going to kill him, uh, Saul was going to kill him, and God saved him. Shankida, it's important for us to keep in mind that when we act with purity of heart and simplicity, God is my defender. God is a is my defender, and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Next week we'll start chapter 20. God willing.